The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. I want to welcome all the people who might be here for the first time. We're glad that you're here. And I have the privilege tonight of introducing tonight's speaker. Yeah. Tonight you get to hear from you, Tonight you get to hear from one of our interns, Katie Hunter. Katie is a native Washingtonian and um, a few things I want to let you know about her. She graduated from UW in June. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. With a degree in sociology. And so Katie's been on our staff for a couple of months and there's things that I've noticed about her. She's probably Honestly, she's like the fourth, maybe the fifth smartest person on staff. So she's super smart, like really intelligent. She's taught me a lot since, since I've been able to work with her. Like she has taught me my new signature dance move, the stanky leg. I know. I'm almost better than she is at it. But Katie taught me how to do that. But there are two things um, that I've noticed above everything, all of the wonderful elements of Katie that I bet you guys are going to be able to see tonight as well. The first one is authentic joy. Anyone that knows Katie knows that she pretty much glows from the inside out. And when you spend time with her, ever spend time with her, you are always going to experience her joy. And it's never contrived. It is always so real. And it's such a blessing to be able to be in the presence of Katie's joy. She likes to laugh a lot too. And then the second thing that I have noticed in spending time working with her, is that I feel like Katie is the embodiment of what Paul writes in Philippians 2, what it means to put others before yourself. And anybody who's friends with Katie knows that she will always put you, other people's needs, in a humble way, she'll put other people's needs before her own. She wants us to experience joy before she experiences it herself. So I'm excited for her to share with you. She is, hands down, my favorite blonde female intern this year. You guys, it's Katie Hunter! I brought my water because my mouth's doing that thing where you, like, it gets dry. It's never happened to me before. I think it's the nervousness. Um, and I kind of want to do like, a karate chop right now because I just want to get out like my jitters. Like, <laughs> You're welcome to do it if you want. Um, sorry. Um, okay, so you guys got it. I'm nervous. Um, you up front are welcome to be like, Kate, slow down, shut up. Um, yeah, don't cry. Um, now my papers aren't sitting straight on this thing. Gosh, it's so frustrating. Um, okay, before I get started uh, tonight with the text, I want to introduce myself, even though I was uh, really kindly introduced by Janie. Um, I'm Katie Hunter. I graduated from the UW last year, um, and I'm an intern on staff. Uh, it's a great place to be. Um, and every year I feel like the interns kind of had this competition going of who was the cutest kid growing up. And so I instantly knew why uh, Janie and Ryan asked me to speak first. Um, <laughs> I was hoping that it meant that I was the cutest, but I think I'm maybe the most raggedy. And maybe they're saving the cutest for last. Um, so you'll have to stay tuned. But seriously, I was a weird kid. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I apparently like to get into trouble or just into anything. 
like physically in closed spaces. I don't know uh, why. Um, and Janie asked you what your favorite uh, game was growing up. And apparently mine was hide and go seek. But the thing that threw everyone off was that I wouldn't tell you that we were playing, so I would just hide. <laughs> and so my mom said that often she'd find me like in a closet or a cupboard, <laughs> just sitting there. <laughs> you found me. Um, so that was my favorite game. Um, but, um, and these next pictures, um, you can get them up, are actually a good illustration of what I felt like my childhood was like. I felt like I was always trying to keep up with the boys. Um, I remember just a, f a vivid phrase of my childhood was always my dad saying, if you're going to play with the big boys, you're going to get hurt. Um, and I feel like I did all the time. I have broken arms and um, bloody noses and maybe why... Um, Oh, that's my family. Um, maybe why I have this kind of masculine sometimes um, the way I dress. I don't, like, I hate dresses, and I don't dress really cute. Um, I grew up with boys, okay? Like, that's what I do. Uh, actually, if you can go back the slide. My best friend up in the top left corner is a guy. Brothers, brothers, friends. Um, and they're actually here tonight, um, which is a huge part. And then you can show the next pictures. Um, a huge part of, of who I am is is the people that have surrounded me, especially my family. Um, that's my dad, Kevin, my brother, Zach, my sister, Callie, my mom, Kim. Um, and I would say they have a, a major role um, in shaping who I am um, today. You can go to the next picture if you want to, just a family photo. Um, ooh, ah, cute. None of that? Okay. Um, um, another interesting, I think, piece for me that shaped kind of who I am um, it's actually been kind of the context I grew up in and the environment I was in, um, which was Tacoma. You can, there's, uh, this this uh, poster was actually created by a couple guys at my church back home. And I like it because it's true. It says, the thing poetic about Tacoma is that there's nothing poetic about it. It's kind of this really funky, kind of gritty city, um, kind of artsy in some places, kind of ghetto and kind of hood, um, kind of all wrapped up in this little gift called Tacoma. Um, and it has a special place in my heart because, um, not because it did anything necessarily um, for me, but the people that filled it in the place that it, that it is allowed me to learn a lot. Um, so I think those two, kind of my family in, in the city I grew up in, um, are an illustration of why I am the way that I am. And um, like I feel like it wasn't that uncommon to have like uh, mentally ill people or, or homeless people come knock on our door. Um, that was pretty common. I feel like my childhood is kind of riddled with that. Stories of people staying in our back shed or joining us for family dinners. Um, but there's one, I think, example that I pretty vividly remember um, that when I came home from school, I think I was about seven, with my mom and my sister, and I think my brother. And walking up the stairs, uh, we realized there was a guy on our porch. And I remember thinking, like, this guy looks familiar. And I remember um, he's my, one of my, old, my dad's old young life kids. He was like this 6'4", big 200-pound um, like, black man. And he's on our porch, rocking back and forth, sobbing. Um, and I didn't know at the time, but he was going through uh, some kind of withdrawal. And I, my mom dropped whatever she had in her, in her hands and got on the ground with him and just kind of held him. Um, so it's images like that, I think, that actually kind of haunt me. Um, and it's images like that that started to kind of make me ask questions of, like, why? Why does this happen? Um, 
you know, why does, why does this guy have to go through this? Um, why do like, some kids in my class, usually the minority kids, not have all the school supplies that they need? Or why don't they dress as, as good as the other kids? Um, why are there gunshots on the hilltop of Tacoma and not on the north side? Um, so these are issues, I think, that, that actually Isaiah touches on. Um, so I want to get into the text, but first, let's pray, because I need it. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, be here tonight. Uh, open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to what you want us to take notice of. Call my nerves um, and speak through me. Amen. Okay, so two weeks ago, Ryan talked about Isaiah 52, which kind of gave the context for, for the story that I'm going to be telling. He talked about um, what's happening, who's talking, and who's being talked to. So a quick recap. The Israelites um, are in exile to, um, in a land that they believe God had promised them. Isaiah is the one speaking, and he's a prophet, which means God is speaking through him. So it's not God talking, but um, it's basically the same thing. Um, then Janie talked last week about Isaiah 55, which um, emphasized, that the verse was, um, I can't remember the exact verse, but it was, you know, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways, not our ways. And then she also emphasized that it's not our successes that please him, it's our trust in him that please him. I think this is a really important message to understand before, especially getting into this text today, because um, failure is somewhat inevitable. Um, so I'm glad she spoke on that last week. Um, so let's actually uh, read the text that I'm going to kind of be dissecting a little bit. It's Isaiah 58, 1 through 8. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Um, so that's pretty dense. There's a lot there. Um, hold on. Um, so, so let's go from the beginning. The first thing I noticed is this idea of fasting. Um, what's this about? I think, obviously, logistically, fasting is simply abstaining from food or drink for a certain period of time. Um, but when you read about it in the Bible, there's the spiritual aspect um, of sacrifice and allowing time and space to focus on God. Um, I thought I would get into the spirit of this talk by fasting yesterday, um, so I did that. Um, and I always laugh because like, the second I decide to do it, I'm never hungrier. 
Like 10 minutes in, I'm like, oh, I cannot make it all day. And I even try and use my diabetes as an excuse. I'm like, I think I'm getting a little hypoglycemic. I should probably have a snack. Um, but I was fine. Um, but um, it was hard. It was actually surprisingly hard. Um, I think there's this hunger piece. There's also this social piece. Like, I felt like I couldn't hang out with people yesterday because, oh, sorry, we can't get froyo. We can't get coffee. We can't do dinner. Um, that's kind of how we, how we gather. Um, so not only is the, is the eating part hard, the social part is hard, um, but I think, especially after doing it, what I learned was that it's actually the harder piece is the adding of something rather than taking away. Um, it, was, it was fairly easy to not eat compared to not, you know, I'm sitting there in this like um, kind of complainy, grumpy mood and making sure everyone knows that I'm not eating. Yeah, sorry, I'm fasting. Um, but it was really hard to shift my focus to contentment. Um, so it actually kind of made it easy for me to see, like, I get why Israel is pissed. Like, they're fasting. Um, so they're like, God, why, we're fasting. Why haven't you noticed? And I think God's response is, I, I see you. I see you fasting. Um, you're not doing it how I'm calling you to do it. Right? So... Um, I think what he's essentially saying is, you don't care. Um, you're doing it because it's ritual. You're doing it because it's religion. Um, but where is this relationship piece? Um, I think this is really prevalent, at least for me it was, in college. Um, you know, you read articles just to get them done. You take classes because you have to take some classes, right? I have to get into a major. Um, you know, I'll do an internship just to say I have the experience. I'll volunteer to put it on my resume. Maybe even college itself is that for you. Maybe you're just here because it's what you're supposed to do after high school. Um, and I'm not saying drop out, and I'm not saying don't volunteer. Um, but I'm saying, do we care? Um, the idea of caring and engaging wasn't even supposed to be a main point of my talk tonight. But I think it's important because, especially in this context, it's one of those things that if you don't get it, the rest doesn't make sense. Um, it's like if you build, build a house um, and your foundation is messed up, the rest of the house is going to be a little bit janky. And, and if, you do, if you use the wrong math equation, the rest of your math is going to be off. Um, so this is something that we've got to get. Do we care? The caring piece, the relationship piece. So I think Isaiah started with this, um, do we care kind of question, uh, at the beginning of the chapter because it plays into what he says in the verses that follow. And it's actually a huge part of, of the three main observations that I've kind of made with this text. Um, so the first is this. In verses 6 and 7, God, through Isaiah, says, and I actually like the message version too, so I'm going to share that with you guys. Um, he says, This is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. I see this fasting idea of stopping something in order to start something really prevalent. I feel like God is saying in verse 6, stop doing this, stop oppressing people, stop participating in allowing injustice. Um, and then I think in verse 7 he says, and start doing this. I think it says, start um, feeding the hungry, start clothing, clothing the naked, start being available. Um, but I'm also not sure that it's that simple, and I don't think God's being literal. I don't think the intention is that we leave this room and go walk down to the Ave, 
and go give a homeless man a sandwich and a blanket. Um, that's not what I want to communicate tonight. Um, and I don't know if you give the guy at the corner a dollar, and I'm not an expert on poverty alleviation, um, but I have to believe it based on what God says in the beginning of this chapter that part of the answer is that question of, but where's the relationship piece, right? Um, so I told you that my kind of upbringing, you know, my family plus my environment, um, were all a huge part of who I am today. Uh, they're both aspects that encourage and encouraged me and allowed me to see diversity and difference um, with kind of a new set of eyes. Uh, the, the best illustration I can give of this would be when I decided to go do a study exchange my junior year of college. I went to a smaller, smaller than UW, small-ish, um, public school called Jackson State in Jackson, Mississippi. It happened to be a historically black university. Some of you are asking why. <laughs> I don't altogether know the answer to that question. I'm still kind of wondering. But I think it had a lot to do with, A, being kind of just sick of Seattle and wanting something totally different. Um, I think because I grew up in a, in a place and with a family that allowed me to kind of see that kind of stuff, that was something I was always kind of fascinated in, um, just that culture and seeing the difference between you know, minorities and how they live versus how I lived. Um, also, two of, uh, two of my brothers and I's good buddies, Michael Eaney and Brian Blair, had gone down two years before that and had this vision to kind of uh, make a bridge between Mississippi and Washington. And I guess the logistical part of me was like, why would you build a bridge if no one's going to travel across it? And I feel like I could do that. Like, I can't build a bridge, but I can travel across it. Um, so I felt called to go. Um, and I was right. I, it is the most different place. I could have chosen, ever. I, uh, words don't really do it justice, so I'm actually going to show you guys a little bit of a clip um, of, of my life in Jackson. So you can watch the screen. Okay, so that's real. I was actually there. That's real. I feel like I was in the movie Stomp the Yard. I mean, like, and I don't know if you, like, there's no white people. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, I was the only one, you know, blonde hair. Um, it was different. That's all I can say. Um, but really fun. Um, but, I mean, I mean, like, I walk into the cafeteria, and, like, here, you know, we have pizza, salad, and... Um, some kind of pasta. There you walk in, it's like grits, greens, and fried chicken. Um, you walk down the, down the yard. It's called the yard, you guys. It's crazy. And you hear these conversations, and I'm like, what are they saying? It's not that they're not speaking English. It's that they're speaking this black southern slang. And I kid you not, one of the first phrases I heard was like, I'm finna go to the store, hit me on the hip. What? I'm finna go to the store, hit me on the hip. I got what you said, but what does it mean? Um, I'm finna, I'm fitting to go, I'm gonna go to the store, Heck, text me, that's what they were saying. Um, but it was like, <laughs> you get it? 
No, but like it was things like that that seemed so little, but like the, the language barrier even. Like I, I obviously sounded different. I sounded different. I looked different. I, I walked to class, which apparently people don't do down there. Like I walked. I'm like, why are you walking? Did your car break down? I'm like, no, we like walk places in Seattle. It's weird, I know. Um, so it was, un- it was just unreal. I, can't, I cannot explain to you how much different it was. But somewhere along the line, um, I kind of started to view those differences as like wrong. Um, and it kind of started to be this mindset of like, what can I change? What needs to change? What can I fix? Um, and it kind of became uh, about me. Um, sorry, I'm a little bit lost. Hold on. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's when the question kind of came up. But where is that relationship piece? I was so busy thinking of ways to better the community um, that I hadn't engaged in relationship with the girls I was living with, with the students in my classes, or with the professors that I had. Um, and I think in order to know what things you need to stop and what things you need to start, which is the kind of thing I was talking about earlier, you have to know the needs of the place you're trying to serve or the people you're trying to serve. And I think in order to know the needs, you have to be um, in this deep, caring relationship. Um, Instead of growing those relationships, I looked at them as projects, and I looked at them as like pawns on a chessboard. Uh, The fact that I thought that I knew what Jackson needed most and that I could move people around as I pleased meant that I thought that I was God. Uh, And I think it kind of speaks to what Isaiah says in verse 8. He says, your light will break forth like the dawn. And it's kind of my second observation that comes into play um, with this text. And I think it's where we get sometimes hung up a little bit. I think uh, we think it's about us, like that our light's going to shine. And that's not the case. God's light shines. Um, So when we enter into relationship with these people or places that are in some sort of poverty, and I think sometimes we also have this misunderstanding. That's not a word. Is that a word? So weird. Um, <laughs> misunderstanding of, of poverty. Poverty is not just a lack of money. Um, poverty can be poverty of self and poverty of God. So I'm not just talking about um, the poor here. Um, but when we, when we enter into relationships with these people in these places and we do this stop-start dance that I'm talking about, that's when God's light shines, not ours. I think um, it, it isn't and shouldn't be but I think we think that it is, like, this subconsciously, Kanye West, all the lights is going to, like, blare from some unknown place, and, like, lasers are going to come out of our heads, like, it's about me, I'm pretty cool. Nope. <laughs> I've tried it, it doesn't happen. Um, no, it's about God. Um, and I think what Isaiah is saying is that um, it's simply light and hope shining in a dark place. Uh, so I left Jackson after about four and a half months. I did a semester there. They're on a different schedule. Um, and as soon as I got home, even before, when I got on the plane, I was like figuring out how I could get back and what can I do and, um, what, again, what can I fix? And um, I think what took me a little too long to learn is as I'm sitting there on the plane thinking, Jackson needs me, i got to get back. Um, it took me a couple of years to learn that Jackson doesn't need me that I need Jackson. I need to be reminded that I'm privileged and um, that there's injustice in the world and that people aren't on level playing grounds. 
But here's the cool thing. Now that I actually care about Jackson, now that I build, built some relationships there, um, now that I have a little bit better understanding of what kind of things need to stop and what kind of things need to start, I'm able to pray. Um, and I do. I pray all the time. Every time I think of Jackson, which is far too often in my book, um, my friends know this. It's always like, I'm having a hard day just thinking about Jackson. Um, think about it all the time. I pray, and that's where God's light shines. It's not sexy. Nothing changes. There's, you know, there's no visible, tangible, um, tangible way to, to know that something's happening in Jackson. But I have to believe that when I pray, that's where God is like, light is shining in a dark place. Um, okay, so in my head, I'm like, this is great. Leaving with students with three S's. I'm kind of a point person. So I'm like, stop, start, shine, boom. They're going to leave feeling so good. Um, and then I realized, crap, I forgot one of the biggest S's, one of the biggest points of my story, and I think even of this, of Isaiah, of this text. Um, so I'm actually going to have you turn your attention to the screen again for a little clip. This is an awareness Actually test. do this, you guys. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. <laughs> but did you see the moonwalking bear? That's a funny illustration. It actually got me. I was like, no, I totally didn't see it. Um, I feel like that's something that like, is a Kate thing. Like, I, like, I, if anyone, would see it. Like, I look for that kind of stuff, I feel like. Um, but that is a great illustration of uh, the last S I want to leave you guys with, uh, which is you got to see. And the kind of uh, seeing that I'm talking about has nothing to do with sight, really. Um, it has everything to do with awareness and noticing what's around you. You have to see injustice, and you have to see oppression, and you have to see poverty. Um, you have to kind of let it sink into your bones, I think. Um, I was reading a book in Jackson um, by one of my now favorite authors, um, Flannery O'Connor, and in it she wrote, those who see by the light of their Christian faith should have the sharpest eyes for the grotesque, for the perverse, and for the unacceptable. And I think as Christians, we're really good at seeing, seeing God and seeing miracles. Um, you know, that person just got his life saved. Oh, there's God on that sunrise. Oh, God's in the foam of my coffee. Instagram. Um, <laughs> but you've done it. You all know you've done it. Um, but I also think God says that we should have a sharp and sensitive eye to what's wrong in the world. We have to see it. Um, so like my third weekend in Jackson, um, some of the girls that I, you know, we're not best friends yet. I'm still kind of on the outskirts. We're like, hey, we should take you out. Like, you haven't even been out in the town. Um, you haven't experienced, like, what Jackson has to offer. So, okay, let's go out. So after the football game, we go out. 
Um, and again, the cultural, the cultural norms are, are different. Um, so when they said, hey, let's go out dancing, you know, that the girls have fun, I'm like, cool, put on my vans, put on my jean shorts, put on my V-neck, it's like 95 degrees outside, so like, this will be good. I'm comfy, cute, I can dance, I can you know, pop, lock, and drop it still, got my outfit on. Um, yeah, I was off the mark on that one. Um, <laughs> I get in the car with this girl, and she's like literally, I think, wearing her prom dress. Um, just like dressed to the nines, like heels, dress, hair up, smelling good, looking good. Um, and it's kind of too late to like, hey, can I go change? <laughs> like, I just totally screwed it up. So we get to this, I don't want to say club, but it was kind of a club. And I have to walk past this line of people. I am the only white person. So obviously I stick out because I'm white, but I also stick out now because I totally look like a douchebag because I'm dressed totally wrong. Can I say douchebag? Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, sorry, Ryan. Um, and you guys would not believe the faces that I got. I mean, like, I, I, I felt, oh my gosh, I felt sick to my stomach, like walking past these people, and I'm, hey, you said in line too, cool. Like I like I want to smile, but I'm afraid that they I'm afraid they just want to punch me, really. Um, and so anyway, we get into the club, and about 30 minutes in, um, this bigger black man walks up to me, says a few choice words, a few racial slurs, and pours his beer on top of my head. And um, I didn't even get mad. I didn't. I thought I was going to be more, more fight than flight. <laughs> I thought I was going to maybe even at least act like I was going to try and do something to him. But I got sad. Um, because as I sat there with beer pouring down my face, I feel like I got a little tiny, tiny taste of what they might go through on a daily basis. And as I looked around the room, I saw a room of hurt and a room of anger. You guys, there's deep-seated issues still in this world that have come out of racism. Racism still exists. Um, and there's still so much hurt in our world, period. And I'm not, I hope it doesn't take someone to pour a beer on your head for you to be able to see it. But you got to see it. Uh, I think this is the kind of fasting that God wants from us. To take a break from the distractions and to focus, and to see. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, uh, help us to see, help us to open our eyes uh, to the dark places that need light. Help us to lean into the encouraging fact that the places that we can't help and the things that we don't see, you will, and you're bigger than our failures. Thank you for the opportunity to get into your word tonight and sit with it and reflect on it. Uh, thank you for loving us. Amen.